Welcome back, Cremaholics. It's your host, Holly, and I am back with another solved murder case for this week. There's no real updates to give you guys beyond just saying, once again, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are about to hit a huge milestone, and I'm going to guess that this is going to happen probably before the weekend is finished. When we finally hit that, I will make an announcement on both Instagram and on Facebook, so make sure you're following in those places. You can join our Facebook group by searching Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group on Facebook and finding us on Instagram at crimeaholics.podcast. I do want to give this episode a small warning. There is some talk about sexual assault and rape, so please, if that is triggering for you, just skip this episode. So without further ado, let's get into the murder of Sasha Samsudin. Sasha Samsudin was born in 1988 and she was originally from New York, but she and her family moved to Florida and she graduated in 2006 from Seminole High School in Sanford, Florida. After high school, she attended college at the University of Florida and when she graduated, she began working for a real estate company where she was a social media manager. She can be seen in various clips on the internet in front of the camera with a beautiful, bright smile on her face, detailing different apartment complexes that she was visiting for work and showcasing all of their amenities. She was very successful in her job and worked her way up through the ranks. Everyone who knows and loves Sasha describes her as this absolute ray of sunshine. She was extremely bright, bubbly, full of fun, and always full of so much enthusiasm. She was a hard-working woman, but also enjoyed her downtime partying and hanging out with friends like most everyone does. Rising in the ranks professionally brought new freedoms for Sasha. She was finally able to afford to move into a luxury and high-end high-rise in downtown Orlando, Florida, which this was a huge goal for her and something that she was really excited about. Friday, October 16th, 2015, Sasha was gearing up for a fun night out on the town with friends. She and her friends went and watched a soccer game, and then afterwards they decided they wanted to visit a few different bars in Orlando. They went to a bar called The Sidebar before moving on to a place called The Attic. According to The Attic's website, this nightclub is Central Florida's most famous club for dance music enthusiasts. And from what I can gather from the looks online is this place is the spot to hang out if you're in the mood for some loud music and rave-style visual effects. Sasha and her gang of friends were having the time of their life dancing and heavily drinking. Around 12.30 a.m., Sasha decided that it was probably time to head out for the night, and she told her friend Anthony that she was leaving. But the two of them had made plans to meet up for breakfast the following morning. She said her goodbyes and I'll see you laters and headed out of the club. Now, this is where I couldn't find 100% what Sasha's plans were on how she was going to get home, but I'm going to assume that she was planning to walk home. 
The walk from the attic nightclub to her high-rise apartment located at 911 North Orange Avenue was only 1.4 miles, which according to Google Maps, it would have taken Sasha roughly 25 minutes to get home. But while walking towards her apartments, two young women spotted Sasha walking and thought that she seemed extremely intoxicated. These women are incredible and something that I think everyone listening to this podcast should take note on. They spotted Sasha and they stopped her to ask her if she was okay. And then they proceeded to stay with her, offering her a ride home in an Uber that they were about to take. They wanted to make sure that Sasha made it home safely. They had her back. And again, I admire the hell out of these two women. When they arrived to Sasha's apartment complex, they waited with her until she got inside. But because Sasha didn't have her key fob that allows her to gain access to the place, nor did she have her cell phone that would have allowed her to page her way in, she was unable to get inside of the building. However, this building was patrolled indoors by a security guard who roamed the halls and made sure that everyone who entered the building actually was a resident or with a resident. He saw the three women outside of the building and approached them to see what they needed. The two women told the security guard about Sasha's situation and how they just wanted to make sure that she got home safely and that she was extremely intoxicated. But because Sasha didn't have any kind of identification on her, nor did she have proof that she was a resident, he denied entry for all of them. While the security guard and the three women were talking, a male resident opened the door and allowed Sasha to enter. The two women who helped Sasha chatted with the security guard for a few minutes extra, but they felt that Sasha was now safe since she was inside of her apartment building. And so they left. The following morning, Sasha's friend Anthony was waiting for her to meet up with him for breakfast, but she never showed. After a few calls and text messages went unanswered, he assumed that Sasha was sleeping off a hangover. But as the day went on and Anthony still hadn't heard anything from Sasha, he began wondering if everything was okay. He reached out to several other friends and asked them if they had heard from Sasha. They also hadn't received any kind of replies, and this started to feel really unsettling for the crew. They decided to all meet up and go to the apartment complex where Sasha lived. When she didn't come to the door when they began knocking on it, panic really set in. Anthony decided to call 911 and report her as missing. Around 8.30 p.m. on October 17th, police arrived to perform a welfare check. The apartment door was still locked and there was no sign of forced entry. Upon entering her apartment, authorities were surprised to see how extremely tidy and clean her apartment was. There was even a lingering scent of cleaning products in the air. As they entered her bedroom, they could see long, dark hair sticking out from a wrapped-up ball of comforter on the bed. When they unwrapped the comforter, inside they found 27-year-old Sasha Samsadine deceased. Visibly from what they could see, it appeared that Sasha had been raped and strangled to death. Around her neck, she had the telltale markings of someone who was violently and forcefully strangled. She had also been beaten. On her arms, she had defensive wounds and abrasions. It appeared from the markings on her arms that she had been restrained by someone. 
The necklace that she had been wearing had been broken off in the struggle and was found tangled in her hair. Her shirt and bra had been ripped open in the front and her underwear and pants had been forcefully removed, leaving abrasions among her legs. When scanning the area of Sasha's bedroom, her pants and underwear were missing from the room. Her body had also smelt of cleaning solutions. Inside the bathroom, the cabinet doors where Sasha left all of her cleaning supplies were left open, indicating that whomever had been inside of the apartment and did this to her purposely tried to clean up. They also made note that the toilet seat inside Sasha's bathroom was left up, which could have been nothing, but seeing that Sasha lived alone and didn't have a boyfriend at that time, this really stuck out to investigators. There was also a condom wrapper located near the edge of the bed as well as an imprint of a shoe. The scene was locked down and the forensic sweep of the apartment began. On that lifted toilet seat, they found two fingerprints. Sasha's body had also been swabbed for DNA. All of Sasha's loved ones were absolutely devastated by the news and they had no idea who could or would want to do this to her. When the autopsy results came back, they found that Sasha had died by strangulation. According to ClickOrlando.com, the medical examiner, Dr. Gary Utes, even had stated that he had never seen an internal neck fracture as severe as what Sasha had suffered. He also found that she had blunt force trauma to the head and bruising to her chest that was consistent to someone receiving several blows. With Sasha's family unable to identify anyone who may have wanted to hurt her, investigators were left to rely on surveillance footage from inside her building to try and track her final movements and if she was with anyone else. Not only do they have that security guard working at night, but the building itself is equipped with 15 different cameras. They brought in Stephen Duxbury, who was the security guard I mentioned earlier, to take his statement on when he had seen Sasha and his accounts of that night. Stephen, who had only been employed as a security guard at the Uptown Place Apartments for five months, stated he did in fact see Sasha on that night. He told them about the two women who brought Sasha to the building around 2 a.m. He stated he did not allow her to have access due to her not having her key fob or any kind of identification for him to positively identify her as a resident. But another resident of the building allowed her access and he stayed and talked with the two women for a few minutes longer. He then stated that he went into the building and he went to go see if he could find Sasha. He told authorities that when he found her, she was outside of an apartment attempting to use the apartment door keypad to access the apartment, which she stated was her residence. But she was struggling to remember the keypad code and was fumbling trying to figure it out. After several failed attempts, Sasha asked Stephen to walk her to the garage where her car was parked so she could see if her keys were inside. But as soon as Stephen and Sasha stepped outside to retrieve her keys, she told him that she suddenly remembered the code, and she ran back inside. Stephen escorted Sasha back up the stairs where once again she tried putting in the code. He said after a few failed attempts, he told her that he was going to go do another sweep of the building, and if he came back and she wasn't inside her apartment, they were going to have to figure out how to deal with the situation. 
When Stephen returned, Sasha wasn't there anymore, and he assumed that she had gone inside. He said later on he did see Sasha again, but this time she was with a man that he hadn't seen around before. He said nothing seemed suspicious about the scene, and she was just walking the hall with this man. Stephen said that his shift ended at 6 a.m., but he lingered around for a little bit to finish up writing his report about his shift. After speaking with Stephen, the police put out a press conference asking if anyone had seen Sasha on that night to please come forward. And those two women who had helped her back home contacted police and they also recounted the sequence of events. Their story matched with what Stephen had said. With the two stories matching up, authorities decided to bring in some of Sasha's ex-boyfriends. One of them was Taylor Unsinger. He had stated he had talked to Sasha that morning, but beyond that, they hadn't had any kind of communication. Though the two of them broke up, they were still friends, and there was no tension or hostility between the two of them. Investigators asked him if he would be willing to submit a DNA sample, which he complied. And ultimately, Taylor was ruled out as being involved. They also spoke with another previous boyfriend by the name of Benjamin Roebuck. And just like Taylor, Benjamin and Sasha also remained friends after their breakup. Ben had learned of the death of Sasha from social media and actually took it upon himself to contact authorities. He called because he had actually received a text message from Sasha at 5.12 a.m. on the morning of her death. And in that message, she simply wrote, Ben. Earlier in the evening, the pair had been exchanging some text messages and had even made plans for Sasha to go over and hang out with Ben. When that text came in at 5.12 a.m., Ben wasn't by his phone at that time, but eventually he replied back 15 minutes later. But he never heard back from Sasha. When he heard the news about Sasha's murder, he instantly felt sick with grief and realized that maybe that last text message was her trying to get help. When asked if he had gone to the apartment that night or early Saturday morning, he had stated he did not. Ben also willingly provided a DNA sample and was ruled out as well. Surveillance footage that was recorded from the Uptown Place apartments was always saved off-site at a different location. When the police finally obtained that footage, they began scouring the videos in hopes to find any kind of suggestion on who was last with Sasha. One of the videos captured Sasha entering the building at 1.46 a.m. Moments after she walks in, an unidentified male comes in after her. In the audio of the video, you can hear the man asking her if she's all right. Sasha replies yes with a very cheery thank you. He replied no problem. Sasha then heads upstairs and is out of any camera sight for about 20 minutes. At 2.06 a.m., she is seen on a different camera running up a flight of stairs, followed by Stephen, the security guard. At 2.25 a.m., you can see Stephen and Sasha walk down the stairs to the first floor, where you can see the two of them walking towards the parking garage, just as Stephen had said they had done. You can see them exit the building into the garage, and then moments later, Stephen and Sasha are entering the building again. 
This was when she had thought that she remembered the key code to her apartment. Once again, Stephen's story is matching up with the timeline of the videos. They then go back upstairs. While sifting through all of the footage, police were having a hard time finding anyone who seemed like they may have seen Sasha. While going through the footage, they did see something that piqued their interest. At 6.36 a.m., Stephen Duxbury was seen exiting the building going out to the second story of the parking garage where his personal vehicle was parked. But what caught their eye was that Stephen was carrying two white garbage bags. Stephen then returned to the building at 6.38 a.m. And let me remind you that Stephen had stated that his shift ended at 6 a.m., but he lingered for just a bit to write that report. Stephen Duxbury didn't leave the building for good that day until 6.40 a.m. Police questioned the Uptown Place apartments if taking the trash out after a shift was part of Stephen's typical job duties, and they learned that it was not. So they decided to bring Stephen in once more to hear his story about that night, and once again he reiterated everything he had previously stated. But what authorities noticed while talking to him this time was that Stephen appeared to have marks and scratches up and down his arms, and even one of the marks looked like it could be a potential bite mark. They asked him if he would be willing to take a polygraph test, which he agreed to do so. During the polygraph, they asked the typical questions, including if he caused the death of Sasha Samsadine, do you know who caused the death of Sasha Samsadine, and did you remove any items from Sasha's apartment? All of which he answered no, and all of which were shown as lies on the test. After the test was finished, Stephen was asked if he could hand over the shoes he had worn to work that evening. The shoes he gave them, however, were not a match for the imprint that was found next to Sasha's bed. But when they compare his fingerprints to the prints that were found inside her home, they came back as a positive match. During all of the questioning, Stephen had denied ever entering Sasha's home, but that was found to be a lie because his fingerprints were found on that lifted toilet seat. Stephen Duxbury was arrested for first-degree murder. The DNA that was found on Sasha's breast was also compared to Stephen's, and once again, it was a positive match. Police obtained a search warrant for Stephen's apartment that he shared with his wife, and during the search, they were able to locate another pair of shoes that matched the imprint from the crime scene. Though nothing of Sasha's was found inside of the home, authorities believed that he had taken some of Sasha's clothing items and had thrown them away somewhere else, and that he had done so with trash bags taken from Sasha's apartment, which matched the ones that he had been seen carrying out to the parking garage. They believed that he was carrying those items to his car. While searching through Stephen's electronic devices, it was found that starting around 4.54 a.m. until 5.01 a.m. on the morning Sasha was murdered, Stephen had done a quick search on his phone about how to override a quick-set digital lock, which was the type of lock that was on Sasha's apartment door. 
Come to find out in 2013, an article was published by Wired Magazine detailing the flaws of the quick set lock and how they can be manipulated by someone trying to gain access into a place. This is how Stephen Duxbury knew how to enter Sasha's apartment without causing it to appear that force entry had occurred. The Samsadine family filed a lawsuit against the Quickset company, alleging that because this information was published about the flaw with their locks and the fact that they continue to manufacture them despite the issues, they had also caused the death of their daughter. Stephen was given two life sentences for first-degree murder and attempted sexual battery with physical force. He also received an additional 15 years for a burglary conviction. In 2019, Stephen tried to appeal his conviction, stating that the trial court erred in denying his motion to suppress his post-Miranda statements and in denying his motion for judgment of acquittal on the attempted sexual battery with physical force. But they upheld the ruling and his appeal was denied. Thankfully, Stephen Duxbury will live out his natural life behind bars for this senseless murder. This case is a good reminder that despite what someone looks like or what their profession may be, they can still be dangerous. Stephen was hired to serve and protect those within the Uptown Place apartments in downtown Orlando, a place that was high-end and thought to be highly secure. But that was a false sense of security with their locked doors, special key fob entrances, and on-site security. Stephen Duxbury was a wolf in sheep's clothing. Crimeaholics, as I stated earlier, make sure that you are a part of our private Facebook group. In there, we share all pictures and information pertaining to the cases that we cover. You can also follow me on TikTok at crimeaholics.podcast. And if you wish to follow me personally on Instagram, you can find me at crimeaholly. Crimeaholics, that is all for now. Until next time, be aware and take care. 